All right, you're back in the DFSR on the Overtime Media Network, broadcasting live from the Vivid Seats Lounge. I'm Doug Norrie, and that is... James Davis. Buddy, do you want to get our wives in on some uh, DFS lineups this week? Like maybe we sit down, we bring our wives into the room, we teach mm -hmm. them how to just bang away at a ton of... Uh, teach them. I, I learned most of my DFS skills from my wife, actually. <laughs> oh, you, may, you may remember in our family and friends league, uh, 11, 10, 11 years ago, my wife Taylor took the whole thing down because she picked up Peyton Hillis halfway through the season. And I personally had nothing to do with recommending that you pick him up. So <laughs> I like how you're getting your story straight and setting a paper trail. At it, the is same time. <laughs> it, it is true. I know it's true. She, I was she went in there too. and took him down. It was, it was a big moment. So uh, <laughs> women can play fantasy sports, Doug, as you know. And uh, I assume no malfeasance in this particular instance that you might be alluding to. If you're if we're just talking if you if you're new to DFS or living under a DFS rock for the last week, we're just alluding to the DraftKings Millionaire contest where the bachelor couple uh, supposedly well the, the wife won and uh, supposedly put it in her own lineups, but it's looking increasingly like that might be a, a suspect thing, and they're still waiting for it. And DraftKings is in a terrible bind. Do you have a, do you have any real thoughts about this situation? Only just because it kind of controlled the DFS narrative on like a high level for about the past <laughs> for the for the pat. Well, so level. here I have I have a few thoughts. So first of all, if you're outraged by this, know that it's been happening in some capacity or another since the dawn of DFS. And so if you're uncomfortable by things like this, just that's the nature of it. So all we've learned so far is that you should be a little bit more sophisticated in exactly how you spread these lineups. And know that people are watching. So that's the first thing. Well, you know. we don't condone cheating. I'm saying... Well, of course not. But this is just how it goes. Uh, we, we don't do it at all. At this point, we, we don't even really play as many uh, big tournaments because our main focus is on interacting with our subscribers and really focusing on cash games. That's the bulk of the, the users that we have. But um, but so I, I guess like the the surprise and faux outrage, that that's like a little bit much for me. But one thing I will say is that I find this situation absolutely hysterical because there's never been a bigger pile of circumstantial evidence than there is in a case like this. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, like she's posting on Instagram, how she's like going out with the kids. It's 11 a.m. on a Sunday. She put in 150 lineups that weekend. Like, like it couldn't be it couldn't be any more obvious from my perspective what actually happened here. And I don't know that anything they've really gotten would hold up in a court of law. So like. At some point, are they just going to call these folks and be like, we kind of don't want to give you a million dollars? And are they just going to say, okay, sounds good? <laughs> or are they going to yeah, like... I do think DraftKings is kind of like hoping they'll just call them and be like, you know what? The, the pub wasn't worth... The, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze here. Well, you can have the million. Because I think... I have to imagine DraftKings just sitting around a table. The execs at DraftKings, if they haven't... Because I don't think they'll come to a decision. Or sitting around a table and be like, well, this is the worst of all worlds. Because if we don't pay it out, then we almost assuredly have a lawsuit coming down the pike for us from like you know people that may probably have means to at least hire a competent lawyer, right? Um, or someone that will work on retainer because hell, the payout is a million dollars. So you have that you have that piece of it. And th but then the other side of it is if because you mentioned the circumstantial evidence piece of it, if they were to award the million dollars out, that is basically like holding up a sign and be like, hey, everybody, do the same thing and don't even worry about if it's blatant or not. <laughs> like, like, simply don't worry. About. Yeah, short of a smoking gun, we're not going to do anything. And yeah, <laughs> right. so it, it, I, find it, I find it an unenviable position. I will say that like, I think the actual edge gained is pretty minimal. Like, I know that separation is a big deal and that there, at some point there is... A number of lineups where you could put in every single permutation of guys and guarantee yourself to win or whatever but 
I don't know. I, I think the actual edge gain is like a little bit overblown. And it doesn't really... I think it's a lot more about aesthetics than it is the actual viability of the contest or anything like that. So, yeah, it's a funny story. And it couldn't have... Obviously, like, DraftKings runs so bad here because it just happens to be two random, like, D-list celebrities or whatever that happened right. to, to stumble into this situation. And they had to get, like, the perfect storm of that one... Uh, less than smart gentleman tweeting at them, tweeting at the wrong account, being like, "Hey, congrats, man, you did it," <laughs> stuff right. like that. Like, and just like, like it, it, just it really all had to go wrong. <laughs> her, her account won instead of his. Um, like they didn't mix up the quarterbacks well enough. The whole thing just really was. Uh, it really was like a, it was actually. It was like the the odds of them winning was almost as much as the odds of like all the things that had to go wrong for them to fight <laughs> for someone to just kind of like pick up on the trail. All right, we're gonna get into the, the divisional round of games here. We had an awesome weekend of football. Last weekend, basically every game came down to the wire. Really the only one, I guess, that wasn't within the last minute or two was Seattle and Philly, and even that one was pretty close. But the weekend... Was, the Philly had the ball down a score. They yeah, I know, but I mean, I guess... I was going to say, because I thought Seattle got the ball with like two minutes left. But yeah, no, you're right, because I think Philly got it back at the two-minute warning. So I take that back. Um, every game was within the two-minute warning with some kind of intrigue. Uh, I don't know if we'll get the same... It'd be hard to imagine getting the same uh, just level of just close games just because the nature of football doesn't always lend itself to that. We do have some higher spreads this week, but, you know, hell, the, the Saints were like 10.5-point favorites against the Vikings, and the Vikings pulled off that major upset on the road. So football is one of those sports where it does seem like, you know, the one-game thing, anything can happen, and we felt like we got that last week for sure. We're going to roll game through game, game by game here. We'll get bring out some of the cash plays that we wrote up in the article. We'll talk about some of the, uh, you know, maybe some higher upside, lower floor GBP plays. And I just, I'm going to do my one quick complaint. And I don't, there were so many complaints about this last week, and I don't know why FanDuel did it again. I do not know why they break this into one, into two, one, one game, one day slates on FanDuel with the Saturday and the Sunday. It's just like, it just doesn't lend itself to very good lineups, just like with the way their pricing is and just like the, the nature of the plays from the teams that are playing on, on, uh, on Saturday, I just, it's, it's, I just, I'm just complaining about it. So I just don't know why I did it. It <laughs> makes it much more fun to go through the whole weekend and look at, I think, look at the whole group of players rather than uh, the, rather just one, the two days. But alas, that's where we are. So we'll try to distinguish between FanDuel and DraftKings uh, on who's a play and who isn't. Minnesota goes in and plays San Francisco. San Francisco seven-point home favorites here coming off the bye. Uh, Minnesota obviously coming off that huge win over the Saints, uh, which was, I mean, just a monster upset. Kirk Cousins got the can't play in a big game. Monkey off his back for sure um, and looked pretty good overall throw, and ultimately throwing the touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph in the end. And whether you want to say it was pass interference or not, whatever, still uh, they end up pulling out the game. Give me your thoughts on this game from a fantasy perspective. San Francisco is a team that I, I, for the whole season, it's basically like, what do you do with this team uh, really when it comes to DFS? And especially now when they're one quarter of the FanDuel uh, slate on Saturday, what are your thoughts on, on San Francisco? And then we can go over to the Vikings. Yeah, so for starters, this Saturday slate winds up being really tricky because you have the two teams that play, probably played above their pay grade last week in Tennessee and Minnesota going up against the prohibitive Super Bowl favorites. <laughs> and so it's like for a second day of the or a second week of the playoffs, I would say the spreads are as wide as you'll see them pretty much, right? I mean, we have a seven point spread, a nine and a half point spread. Then you go to Sunday, a nine and a half point spread for Kansas City and then a four-point spread for Green Bay. So for starters, yeah, this is a, a pretty unusual slate. And I think San Francisco, they've shown all season what the plan is, which is if they can get up early. I mean, just go look at their Week 17 game for, I think, a pretty reasonable proxy of what you might expect here, which is if they get up early, 
Jimmy G is going to pass in the low to mid 20s, which yep. kills basically everyone in the passing game. And we know that their running back situation is just one of the one of the more full on commit. Like they're giving a new definition to the word running back by committee because between Breida, Mostert, uh, Coleman, like any of those guys could get between five and ten carries, and none of them is going to be fantasy viable. I will say. So for the full weekend slate, I'm going to probably try and avoid this team. Maybe outside of Kittle. I think Kittle still could stand to have a lot of targets. But uh, on the short slate on Saturday, you're kind of you're potentially priced into looking at one of these cheap wide receivers, you know, between Debo and Emmanuel Sanders. So I do think it's like, you know, it's, it's an unhappy circumstance in some ways. But I, I think those guys you do have to sort of look at here. Yeah, I think I'll we'll probably end up playing Emmanuel Sanders, maybe just both. Because the thing is, San Francisco... Tennessee really has like so it's funny I'm just gonna break it down by teams Minnesota has wide receivers obviously but actually both are questionable both set out practice we'll see we'll see how the injury news later in the week San Francisco has almost no fantasy viable wide receivers except that you know you can see seven sometimes an eight to nine target game out of Emmanuel Sanders it's rare Tennessee basically has one guy and Baltimore has none so that's the wide receiver group for the Saturday for the, for the Saturday group uh, for the Saturday games yeah. on Fanduel. So you know, even look playing like Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders um, might be might be in play. This would be very low scoring, very low scoring Saturday. Uh, if if you want to bank on one guy getting a bulk of a carry, bulk of the carries, I guess you go for Mostert. If they just say, look, now we're just going to give you it all. We've been saving it for the whole season. I don't think that's going to be the case because all their guys have been relatively effective on the ground just because they have a very good running game. But Moster is the most expensive of the group for a reason, and just because he does tend to go like two to one on the carries for the other guys, but two to one like like last week was ten five four, right? So we'll compare doesn't... him though to, to the running backs we had access to last week because he's almost exactly the same price as guys like Carlos Hyde, um, Devin Singletary. Right. Moster touches the ball twelve times a game. <laughs> like those guys at least at least have upside for the twenty plus touches. Moster does not, and I don't. I would really, really rather not do it. I mean, I get that you're pretty low on options on this Saturday slate, but I think the way it winds up coming together is you basically wind up having to play Dalvin Cook on the other side of this game, smashing them into the 49ers' fantastic defense. Right. And just because I think we also saw from Minnesota last week, the plan for them is we're just going to establish the run. And if the game gets out of hand away from us, I guess we'll start passing, but... They're almost like a caricature of what I just mentioned about Garoppolo, where we saw Cousins with 10 attempt games during the season. So you start by playing Dalvin Cook, and then you figure out, well, do I have enough money to get Derrick Henry? Can I stomach you know, one of the Baltimore guys? I think Baltimore actually has a more interesting running back by committee situation than San Francisco does. But yeah, I think for San Francisco purposes, you're looking at Saturday only, and you're pretty much looking at Kittle and picking the wide receiver. I guess if we are picking those wide receivers, though, my like you mentioned Emmanuel Sanders maybe being the leader in your personal clubhouse your vivid seats lounge over there Doug but in my vivid seats lounge here Debo Samuel I think is the guy um showed real big playmaking ability in that Seattle game you know five targets but turned that into 102 receiving yards he also had the rushing touchdown and I think Sanders is sort of the odd man out like he's there for the possession game but when they're establishing the run they just don't need the possession game as much so uh, I would lean Samuel there uh, targets over the last four weeks, uh, Samuel 5638, uh, the, yeah, Debo Samuel 5638, Emmanuel Sanders 6965. So it's not like anyone's getting an overwhelming share. I mean, like, you know, Samuel had the big week last week, the week before against New Orleans, it was, it was, uh, Sanders. Well, you goal. skipped Sam, you, you skipped Sanders's. Oh, he had the zero. First week. Four, how about four, six, four, nine. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, For some reason, our game log is, is skipping a week here. Um, so, okay. Either way, um, there. Oh, I guess my point about the nine car- the nine targets are in there. I, I'm with you. It's I don't really love. I don't really like either one. It's kind of just a matter. And right now, when you run lineups on Fanduel, they're both in the, they're both in the top lineups. <laughs> just kind of where sure. where we stand on this. On Minnesota, they showed what they wanted to do last week. Dalvin Cook came back fully healthy, touched the ball 33 times, ended up going for 94 yards on the ground, 36 yards to the air, scored two touchdowns. Uh, was the play basically the play of the week. Uh, Derek Henry had a good week too, but um, Alexander Madison looks like he is going to sit out this game again. Could you? It's a it's a tough defense uh, defensive matchup here for Cook for sure. And is the volume just worth it? I mean, I guess mostly here at this point, I'm talking DraftKings as well because I'm the Fanduel one is a foregone conclusion. There's just not many options to play, so you just play Cook and and live, and live with it. I think, um, but the. But the DraftKings one's more interesting to me. He's 8,000 on DraftKings. Is he a guy you can stand to play over the whole weekend? Again, there aren't a ton of running backs over the course of the whole weekend here either. It's not like there's like a bunch of guys waiting on Sunday that we can play either. That's really not the case. Um, so could you, would you just say, look, this is the plan is for them to run Cook come hell or high water, and, I, and we have a bad defensive matchup, and, and it's 8,000, and I can live with it? What are your thoughts here on him on DraftKings? Yeah, I think you still play Cook on DraftKings for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I think the matchup against San Francisco, while it's tough, um, Minnesota still has to do something on their offensive plays. Like, they can't just be like, well, that's a tough defense. Like, let's just punt on first down. And San Francisco, like, when you look at their defensive split, they were second in the NFL in DVOA against the pass, but just 12th, just 12th against the run. And I think Minnesota looks at that and they're like, well, hell, we we have two banged up wide receivers. We don't really love our quarterback. I think they're going to spend the whole first half running and just seeing how that looks. And... It might work, it might not, but I think Cook is the best bet for consistent touches of any running back on the whole weekend. I mean, outside of maybe Derrick Henry, but they're nine and a half point dogs too, and Henry's more expensive. Uh, when you go to those Sunday games, it doesn't get a whole lot rosier. I mean, you can take Carlos Hyde as a nine point, nine and a half point dog against at Kansas City. No thanks. Uh, Damian Williams, I think you can make a case for. Probably yeah. a solid play. Uh, Seattle, you get Travis Homer, yikes. And then you get Green Bay, who, you know, we've seen. We've seen it from Aaron Jones, and we've seen it not so much from Aaron Jones. So I think it's just a really, really tough weekend, like an uncharacteristically tough weekend for running backs in the NFL. And I think you wind up um, probably just leaning into Cook because, you know, this is the one guy of anyone on the weekend who his team really has precious few other options. Right. Uh, we'll get into those other running backs in a second because we have some thoughts on the Williams and Jones situations. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm with you. Now, on the wide receiver side, we did see Adam Thielen come out and lead the team in targets after having really struggling with injuries and really just not playing very much the entire season. Um, it was really that, that's most of his his concern. Now he looked pretty healthy. He looked had a good game against the Saints, seven for one twenty nine. Did see some Marshawn Lattimore too. Stephen Diggs was almost nowhere to be found. Uh, only had three targets on the day. They tried to force him the ball in the run game a little bit because they just couldn't get him to in the pass. Uh, and then Rudolph obviously had seven targets. If you had to give a hierarchy of of Minnesota wide receivers at this point knowing that we kind of went into last week not having a ton of track record on Thielen for this season, does the, does the one week change your opinion about who the targets kind of will go to more? Or um, or do you want to stick with, like, you know, Diggs led the team and that, that's kind of the story and, and it's just one week blip? Because um, it's a little, hmm. this a little bit of a weird situation here with the wide receivers. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Thielen for the main reason that this, I think sample size is really important. And once you get into the game that really matters, you don't have a lot of sample size for the games that really matter where we really need to win right now and there's nothing else on our minds. 
And in that situation, Thielen led the team in targets. He had nine targets and was excellent in when he received those targets. And I think he's cheap uh, relative to a lot of other plays this weekend. I think, you know, if you're comparing him to like Debo Samuel or something like that, uh, you're going to prefer Thielen there. And I think between him and Diggs, it's for me, it's sort of a no-brainer. I mean, yeah, Diggs had a few explosive weeks throughout the season. But he's very, very hit or miss. And I don't think Minnesota appears to have an appetite for, you know, the potential for that, like three catches on nine targets a week that Diggs can absolutely provide for you. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Thielen there, understanding that it can blow up in your face. Any Minnesota wide receiver can, but on the Saturday slate, I'm not going to play Thielen, hopefully, for the full weekend. Uh, but on the Saturday slate, yeah, I'm... I think I'm comfortable running him here. The big story is what they want to do against Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman lines up primarily, like nearly 100% of the time, on the left side. Richard Sherman this year was pro football focuses easily, easily highest graded uh, cornerback in the league. Um, and so it's just going to, and, and Minnesota moves these guys all around. So the, if you look at like the where they line up between the left, right, and slot, um, they do they do shift these guys around a decent amount. So it kind of just going to end up with, you know, different looks at Richard Sherman and probably just wanting to get anyone away from Richard Sherman would be my guess. So that would be an interesting thing to watch just from a lining up standpoint, especially if like I'm, I'm not, I'm not a huge X's and O's guy. So I, re, you know, rely on some of this other stuff to sort of tell the story, but this is one that you can even see as guys are lining up, you know, just look where, where Richard Sherman is and look who's lining up against them and just think to yourself, well, the other guy probably has a better chance at this point. Um, if you're just watching mm -hmm. for something during the game. All right, let's roll through uh, the next game. We Tennessee goes in and plays Baltimore after coming off the huge upset over the Patriots in the wild card weekend. Derrick Henry ran wild uh, all over the Patriots. Now they are nine and a half point underdogs. They actually, it might be up to ten now. Let me look. Uh, yeah, that's up to ten uh, on the Baltimore side with a forty-six and a half over/under. Weather's supposed to be kind of bad here this weekend. A little windy, but maybe possibly some rain. Though it's a little early to tell on that right now. Exactly when the rain is going to come in. Can you can you can you lean on Derrick Henry going into a good defense again? Um, they were this kind of underdogs last week. They they showed what they want to do. They want to give him the ball. Now they had the the I guess I guess I'll call it the luxury of being in the game last week, so they could keep relying on it. Um, but would you be worried about like if they fell down early? Give me your thoughts here on the Tennessee side, and then we'll get over to Baltimore, which the list is pretty short on Baltimore. Yeah, so I think there were a few extenuating circumstances last week. First of all, they were underdogs, but they were four and a half point underdogs. They weren't nine and a half point underdogs. And I think Vegas properly assessed this matchup to acknowledge that Baltimore is just worlds better than New England, whatever their regular season records wound up showing. And I think there's two potential issues for Henry here. The first is that Baltimore behind Jackson does have that explosive offense. They can just really stick it to you, like where you're just down 14 before you even wake up in the morning and your head is spinning and you just don't know what's going on, right? So I think there's certainly the potential the Tennessee's down early. But the interesting thing is that Baltimore, their defensive profile almost exactly mirrors San Francisco, where they're good but not elite against the run and incredible against the pass with the third best uh, passing DVOA on the season. And so that's where I start to get a little bit like, huh, like Tennessee's going to look at this we know that they didn't want to lean into the A.J. Brown, Tannehill combination last week. And if they could get by with just giving the ball to Henry, they would. I think Henry's probably going to get 25 carries, almost regardless of what happens in this game script here. And I just don't still know if that's good enough at the very highest price point of any player on that FanDuel Saturday slate. So, yeah, I don't know, Doug. I don't know if you have a different intuition here, but like, Certainly, like if we're going by the big money plays, we have to prioritize, like, you know, give people a little bit of a window into our process as we're sitting there on game day trying to figure out how to make our lineups. 
when we're trying to figure out who who of the expensive plays we must play, it has to be Lamar Jackson, right? Like yes. he's the first guy. Yeah. He's the only guy you have to play, in my opinion, on that Saturday slate. Can you play someone even more expensive than Lamar Jackson when there's no punts? I don't know if you can if you can play both. So I think for that reason, for us, he'll be an odd man looking out, and I suspect a lot of people will try to force him in there. Yep, and I think and I think I would even go one step further and say that if I'm prioritizing plays too, I think I'd prioritize Dalvin Cook over Henry straight up just raw points. So forget the price, right? Like I think I'd rather play Cook, um, and and then and then he comes twelve hundred cheaper. But then the problem is that you then have two expensive plays. You have you know, a must in Lamar Jackson, and then you have Dalvin Cook, and now now you're really up against it in terms of price because there's really very few other places to save. So um, you can do it. You can. I, Derek Henry just wouldn't be the guy I would jam. I'm just actually looking real quick mm. like what the difference is. Um, so if you if you d- decided that you needed to prioritize the two high price running backs at least in our system, and along with Lamar Jackson, you take a. Calculating, I thought this was gonna, I thought this was gonna go. Up. <laughs> um, I think well, say actually, I think our system is actually grinding on this a little bit. Yeah, you take a six-point hit in expectation uh, near the end of it because you're saying, well, now you're just gonna need to roll a guy like Anthony Ferksker or Willie Sneed right. or something like that because now you're and and now you're basically not guaranteeing yourself a zero somewhere, but really looking down the barrel at it. And there's just situations where they get down early by 13 points. And you just can't keep running the ball. Now, Tennessee does try to do that sometimes. They just say, this is how we got here. And they will, they will, they'll run the ball more in that situation than most other teams. And it's still a pretty scary situation. Um, the, uh, A.J. Brown, I think, is a, is a nice upside play. You want to see him avoid Marcus Peters if, if possible. Um, they didn't really do a ton else in the passing game last week. Any other quick thoughts here on Tennessee? I, they, they really just didn't throw the ball at all. The high, their highest... Oh, AJ Brown only had one target. Um, they own, their highest tar- their <laughs> highest overall targets were Tajay Sharp with three last week. It was just not they just didn't really need to pass the ball. Tannehill only threw the ball 15 times. You can't imagine that's going to be the case again. Would you be comfortable going back to AJ Brown? A couple you know not so great weeks in a row here. Well, yeah, I think the 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 insight into AJ Brown for me came when I was really looking at when his huge weeks were because if you remember, like we weren't exactly on AJ Brown as he was sort of emerging, right? Like we didn't really believe after the. Jacksonville game where he had 135 yards and a touchdown on just five targets. We still weren't totally in uh, when he had that huge game against Oakland on just seven targets. What we've seen with him is that when Tennessee has him in a good matchup, they'll pour it on, right? Like when they went up against Houston, 13 targets, eight catches, 114 yards and a touch. In the last two games, they've gone up against elite quarterback situations, New England and New Orleans. He's had one and two targets in each of those games. And coming in against Baltimore here, between Humphrey and Peters, like this is one of the best cornerback duos in the league. And there's just nowhere, there's nowhere to hide AJ Brown. You know, like not that you need to hide him, he's a great player, but like they're not gonna sneak in some weird package where Baltimore isn't gonna have an elite guy on him. And that I think is pretty problematic based on the track record we've seen. So when we're talking about prioritizing wide receivers and so on, I think a lot of people are gonna be enticed by this seventy four hundred dollar price tag on Brown. I think that still might be riskier than it appears. And um, the case for it is that Tennessee is just down early, and this is their only option, and I think he can get there on that. But, yeah, it's just riskier than it would have seemed like coming out of that Houston game <laughs> where he was excellent. Like The last three weeks have been pretty harrowing if you're uh, an A.J. Brown believer. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I just, it's, he's, just not, he's not a high-volume wide receiver come hell or high water, and at, at 7,500, at least on FanDuel, you kind of have to be, and I think kind of forget it on DraftKings because there are some other guys I think we can trust a little bit more on the Sunday slate in terms of just overall targets. Baltimore side, Lamar Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. 
Lamar Jackson 100% on FanDuel, not worried about it there. Lamar Jackson on DraftKings, though, he's not showing up in our overall line, top lineup. Now, we have easily priced as the best quarterback, uh, so that's not close. He's like four points up on Mahomes. So it's not, it's not a raw points thing. It's just a matter of how many points he needs to justify the price. If you, on DraftKings for the weekend, if you saw Lamar Jackson go and being like 60% start, let's say, um, would it have you worried if we didn't have him? I'm just trying to like prioritize like where we land on how important he is at this point from a fantasy perspective. There are other fantasy viable quarterbacks on the slate, specifically on Sunday. Yeah, I would I would be pretty concerned if people had Lamar Jackson and we didn't, with the exception that if they had Lamar Jackson and then they were filling out their lineup with you know, just random filler, like, you know, Hollywood Brown and Corey Davis and stuff like that, then I would be a lot less concerned. But yeah, just for starters, it all, I, yes, I would absolutely be concerned. Okay, so I think that that's really the only question you're asking. If you like Jackson could have 20 carries. Uh, like I, we've seen when Baltimore is pressed, they have one plan as well. And I mean, it's kind of weird because Jackson's so much better at passing this year than he was last year, but we saw them just take the reins off. And, like, he could have 25 carries in this game. You just have no idea if they feel like they need it. Now, they might not, right? Like, they might just go out there and be like, it's Tennessee, guys. Like, <laughs> we're going to beat these guys one way or the other. Let's really break out the 20-carry game against the Chiefs next week. But I think it's in play, and he's the type of play you got to prioritize. Uh, on the running back side, the thing to look out for right now is Mark Ingram had been practicing all week but then was held out. Uh, yesterday, Wednesday, with tightness in the hamstring. And that's um, that could be a sign. I, you know, getting downgraded this late in the week is often not that great a sign um, in terms of your overall prospects for playing. I think we'll just have to keep an eye on this one going in. Um, he is labeled right now day-to-day. If he, were not to, if he were to not play, I think you instantly slot in Gus Edwards as the probably top points per dollar back for the weekend. Um, with Justice Hill, you know, getting some carries behind him as well. Uh, but I think just with the, where Edwards is priced at 5400 on FanDuel, he'd be 100% play, I think. And I think even mm-hmm. with the non-PPR piece for his game, I think you'd still probably take a consideration for him at 4900 on DraftKings. So keep an eye on the Mark Ingram piece. Mark Andrews, I think, is an elite play at tight end. He's definitely behind the Kelsey and Kittle group, but not so far behind, and he's, and he's priced a little farther behind them. So I think that you can consider – I mean, would you agree with that on the, on the Mark Andrews thing? He's – 600 less than Kittle and 800 less than Kelsey on DraftKings. But that feels correct, and it feels like points per dollar-wise, you can justify a play just because you're getting some savings. Yeah, I, I like Andrews. I think, you know, two solid weeks in the last two weeks that mattered. Obviously, there's a comfort level there with Jackson, and the red zone targets are elite. And this is a tight end to a 10 touchdowns this season in a year where uh, there were basically no good tight ends. So, yeah, very comfortable playing Andrews here. All right, let's get into the Sunday games. Houston goes in and plays KC. Houston coming off the win against Buffalo that they kind of had to scrape out. Uh, but they now come into this game as nine-and-a-half-point underdogs. Oh, actually, that might have been bet up, too. Yep, that's up to 10 as well. It started as minus 8, and then it's up to minus 10 on the KC side, with KC coming in with easily the highest point total, uh, projected point total of the weekend at 51. Let's start on the KC side, actually. So we do have fantasy viable quarterbacks this week behind Lamar Jackson in a way that we don't have it at some other positions, I think. Um, but although this, this Sunday slate is a little, is, is a little more palatable than the, than the Saturday slate. Where do you rank Mahomes here as compared to Lamar Jackson? Because uh, I guess I'm more talking DraftKings. Mahomes was not really in his league in terms of points per game this year, but really no one was in Lamar Jackson's league from quarterback standpoint. And but also Mahomes had some injuries, but also had like some regression around the touchdowns this year. He just wasn't as – he was awesome, don't get me wrong. But I don't know, for the price, could you consider pivoting down to Mahomes here with the idea that they're probably just going to want to 
really run the score up as, as high as they can early. And on DraftKings, you get them for $1,000 less. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes was actually pretty human this season. And I, yeah, I, I don't know any other way to say it. Like, he just wasn't that awesome. He was mostly just pretty good. And I think most of the season, he found himself being priced like the guy he was last year and not the guy he was this year. That being said, he was struggling with injury things throughout the season. And as of right now, he has a clean bill of health coming into the weekend. Like, he's very obviously on Jackson's level talent-wise. I think just the question is, you know, is the health there? And I think in a great matchup, one thing about Houston is they are by far the worst defense left of any team in the NFL. And getting Mahomes, smashing them up against them, I guess I wasn't even, I didn't even look at these this full weekend slate very much because that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mostly on the FanDuel side for us. Uh, but yeah, I, I, th- I think I could live with that. I think if I can get Mahomes and get like some, some significant savings and not have to play someone who's going to score three fantasy points, then then I think I'd be willing to do that. Yeah, I think the savings is interesting. Like I said, there are some other guys to, to consider pivoting down to. I don't think you need the Jam Lamar into DraftKings because of this. And there's a chance we just get like, you know, we get 40 plus uh, attempts here from Mahomes because the playoffs and they just want to keep keep rolling on yeah. them. Uh, and he could, he's the guy, he's another guy too where the carries can spike in games that matter. Like they prefer to not do it, but I think in a game where they must win, you could see him get 10 carries. A guy that I think I pretty much want to play in every lineup, uh, definitely on FanDuel and probably on DraftKings for the weekend, is Damian Williams. Damian mm-hmm. Williams, um, when the games really mattered, and this is like down the stretch, and when he was healthy, he was a guy that they wanted to give the ball to. So if 11, 11, he was hurt in the middle of the season, but if you go back to the Tennessee game, this is basically right before he got hurt, he carried the ball 19 times and had five targets, so 24 touches. Then he get, mm-hmm. he's, he's out for about a month, a little bit more, then he comes back against Chicago. They gave him the ball 16 times and three targets against Chicago. And then in week 17 against the Chargers, 12, to- 12 carries and then seven targets. So he's touching the ball like 20 times a game when he's healthy. And I just really feel like that's the plan with him. And I think if that's the if that's the you know they shuttle around all these you know, Darwin Thompsons and you know uh, Lashawn McCoys for the whole season because Williams was just not healthy. He's healthy now, and at 6,000 on DraftKings. And he's only, oh, I had it right for, he's even 7,300 on FanDuel. I, I, he's not an elite back, but I think he's their guy that they want to have on the field as much as possible. And I think he's underpriced because he just sat out a lot of the year with injury and just didn't, just wasn't able to play. He had an awesome week 17 uh, with, you know, he had a long, long, he got buoyed by the long run, but still, uh, he did score two touchdowns. Um, I, I see him as a near 100% cash play, really for almost for the whole weekend. Uh, does that make, does that, you know, that line of thinking makes sense to you? Yeah, it feels good to me. He's relatively inexpensive. Uh, he's involved in both sides of the ball. And I think we've seen this in the past, too, with teams with young running backs that they're sort of kind of trying to keep fresh for the playoffs that we can see them be unleashed as well. So, yeah, I definitely like Williams here. Yeah, he, like I said, it's 7,300, 100% on the two-game slate for FanDuel because it's not really actually on this slate. There aren't a ton of, of running backs to play. Uh, and we're going to get to the Aaron Jones situation in a second. I don't want to run Carlos Hyde as a huge underdog. Uh, the Seattle thing is a total mess uh, at running back. And so there, at that point, you're really left with very few options of who you can run at running back. Um, and so I think for Williams, for me, uh, feels like a lock. What are your thoughts here on the Kelsey-Tyreek Hill situation? I don't. I see Kelsey as a close-to-cash game play, but it's a funny way. There actually are good tight ends. It's a very weird weekend. There's very, three very good tight ends. Um, very few running backs to play. Uh, and then and I don't know where you like land Tyreek Hill into the, like the Devontae Adams, De- DeAndre Hopkins class of guy. He's not priced quite like that, but he's always priced to me a little more expensive than he should be for based on it. It's mm-hmm. almost like his name. I don't know, he gets more. I think he gets more ownership on the name, and the ownership is what keeps the price high. And that to me 
is just always why I never really want to play him in cash because when that when that's factored in, he's just always a little too expensive. Well, yeah, he gets priced based on the name and also his highlight plays, and you know he'll he'll often be a favorite to be in the top five plays of the week or whatever. But that just doesn't really pay the bills uh, for DFS purposes. Like he's not a huge volume guy. The big playmaking ability is great, but actually we didn't really see that flexed nearly as much this year as as we did last year with Mahomes struggling. Uh, so I guess if you buy the idea that Mahomes is fully healthy, you could see he'll have that breakout week. But I we haven't seen it this season, so I don't see why I would want to go all in this weekend and, and kind of catch that falling knife and, and be like, yeah, this is Hill's big breakout week when we're not even getting a discount for it. Like Hill's, Hill's priced the same way he was when he was getting 100 yards a week and a touchdown. And now he's getting like 60 yards a week and maybe a touchdown. So definitely not on my radar. Uh, and when it comes to Kelsey, I just prefer Kittle there. I think... He's a bigger part of his team's passing attack. His team has far fewer options in the passing game. And at least on FanDuel, Kelsey, more expensive. I don't think that's where I would want to be for cash. On the Houston side, I'm really only interested in DeAndre Hopkins here. I think I think even Deshaun Watson, uh, just based on some of the other quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson's strictly a GBP play for me. It just There's mm. too many games where they just fall down early. He does nothing in the first half. I, it, lots of times he's pulled it out of his butt um, in the second half. He's done that multiple weeks this year where it's like it's been looking real dicey on him and then turns it on in the second half and you know starts running a little bit more and gets a little bit more aggressive. But I'm just not interested from a cash game perspective of him playing from behind against a Chief. But um, what are your thoughts here real quick on Hopkins and Fuller? Like, Does, does it matter for you how much if Fuller plays – you know, would you be willing to play them both? Does it cut? How much do you think it would cut into Hopkins, or does it just like open up better looks for Hopkins? This is one I kind of wrestled with back and forth about where to land DeAndre Hopkins here. Right now, it's seventy four hundred. He is in our DraftKings lineup, and he's in the Saturday, he's in the Sunday only lineup as well. But it's close, and so um, I'm just wondering if it kind of matters for Fuller, and also if it matters that like his targets increase, but the quality of the targets decrease without Fuller, if that makes sense. Because Fuller does really open up uh, things. Yeah, he draws a lot of attention. That's kind of where I wind up landing, is that I think Hopkins, I think also, you know, back in the, this will be a different game than Houston played last week. They're almost definitely going to be behind, and we know that they're willing to go all in on the Watson-Hopkins duo. Uh, When Fuller's there, I do, do think it opens things up, but I think it winds up being ultimately a wash for Hopkins' value. I think it's much better for the Texans overall. Uh, and I think if Fuller somehow came out and was like totally healthy, which, you know, there's no sign that that's the case at this point, uh, given that he's been limited in practice. He missed last week, obviously. Um, but I think Fuller's cheap enough that he's another guy you could speculate on. And when you're down in that like Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders tier, uh, Fuller's just as good as any of those guys with tons of upside as well, based on a couple games we saw this season. So, yeah, we're, with Hopkins, totally comfortable playing him. I think he's Houston's really only hope to competing in this game. And we could see him jump out with one of those like 15 to 17 target weeks uh, without much difficulty. So I'm very high on him for cash games here. Um, yep. And just as a just as a note about defenses here, KC was this season awful against the run, 29th in DVOA against the rush, and sixth against the pass. So you're getting a weird. Yeah, just had a great pass rush. I mean, you know, they can really get after the quarterback. Although that being said, I just have to mention it because I had to text you in a panic. I've never seen a quarterback take two hits the way. Watson did at the end of that Bills game and not get sacked. I just don't. I, don't, I just don't get it. I think the momentum of the two uh, <laughs> two guys knocking him in opposite directions must have played some role because either one of those hits would have killed me personally. And he just like stands up, goes and completes a thirty-five yard pass <laughs> to seal the game. Like it's absolutely crazy. So that was 
I don't. I'm not too much of a sucker for those like big emotional plays these days. But that that had me on my feet for sure. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Like I said, I kind of say he pulls it out of his ass. Like he just he's Russell Wilson's like this too. Like he just like looks like everything's. gone. I find that to be a grotesque analogy, personally. But. Well, okay. well everything looks like everything's gone. It's all gone to crap, and then all of a sudden the ball's getting downfield, and it's just for some reason it's weird. It's just like seems to happen to Watson more in the second half. All right, like my old guy Ben Roethlisberger, buddy. That's uh, <laughs> no, that's calling. Hey, he was like that a lot. Days the guys were just kind of like yeah. fall off of me, but wonder how he was still standing. Final game on Sunday, Seattle goes in and plays Green Bay. Green Bay, four-point home favorites here. They're on the bye, Seattle coming off. What probably was more difficult of a road win, although they're on the road, but a road win against the, the backup squad for the Eagles when it was all said and done last week. The, I guess my big question for this weekend is around the Green Bay running game. Aaron Jones obviously touched the ball a ton in Week 17 and Week mm-hmm. 16 as well. Um, with 31 carries in against Detroit, and then he had 31 touches against Detroit, and then 26 touches against uh, Minnesota. Jamal Williams is going to play this week, and yeah. I just don't know <laughs> what to do with this with their usage. I, I guess I, that's that's my thing. I'm just kind of throwing my hands up because, on the one hand, it really seems like this has been the, the plan all season has been save everybody. Because I, I will say the 26 touch game against Minnesota. Jamal Williams did play that game. Jamal Williams had eight touches himself, okay? Mm-hmm. So it really feels to me like the plan all season has been this is where we're going to save the max carries for, the games that really, really matter when it's all said and done. And they really kind of, you know, they, they did a good job. They, they, got to, they got the bye, and they were able to keep everyone sort of relatively fresh. Because this is the, this is the case of do you play Aaron Jones? I'll, I'll just give it to you right now. Do you play Aaron Jones or do you play Dalvin Cook? Okay, it, let's just say you can't play them both on DraftKings for the weekend. They're both priced in the same area. Jones is 600 less. Cook has no one behind him to worry about in terms of touches. Yeah. Aaron Jones has Jamal Williams. How much does that make, How much does that affect you? How much does the price matter? This, I think, is the big question for the weekend. Well, if Jamal Williams were playing, you'd play Aaron Jones of course. in every lineup. Of course. So that's that's the baseline here. Um, and then. <laughs> Jones also just has a much better matchup than Dalvin Cook, too. Like, uh, Seattle was actively bad against the run this year. I think they had the 26th, you know, 26th best rushing DVOA uh, defensively this year. So, really, like, everything points in Jones's favor until you get to the fact that Jamal Williams is coming back. And it reminds me of uh, what's something that's written on our ebook, which you can get over at dfsr.com slash ebooks. Get the NBA one or the NFL one. You can get all of them, I think, right now if you if you go there and sign up for our mailing list. But um, it's this running back by committee thing because it's all well and good. A lot of people will look at this and they'll say, hey, Jamal Williams, he's only going to take like six to eight touches. That's a ton of touches. That's that's so many touches. Like if you talk about getting 25 touches in a game or 17, that's an incredible difference. And that, that is pretty worrisome to me. So I think I'm going to keep trying to look at this situation and really try to get a sense for was this team's plan really to save Aaron Jones or was it that they actually liked this split. They think Aaron Jones is better when he's only touching the ball 19 times a game versus 25. Now, the evidence would be he was plenty good in those last two weeks where he was touching the ball and ignored it in an amount of time. But uh, it is worrisome that this just wasn't the plan all along. So I don't know. I, I, it's not a great answer. I guess I would lean Cook because of that because I'd be a little bit concerned. But I wouldn't be shocked if that absolutely blew up in my face either. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a little bit noncommittal at this point. I think you all probably have to... Tune into our members-only chat room this weekend to get my final take. Yep. Uh, I think I, if I was going to use the 10-pole game, I would use it as the Minnesota one where, like I said, Jamal Williams did play, and he still touched the ball 20-plus times. And so if that was the case, then uh, them being favors, I think you just kind of risk it. 
uh, knowing that they have a nice total too. The weather's supposed to be very cold in Green Bay this week in the low 20s. Mm. Uh, no other weather, but just this cold game. So it really shouldn't affect, and it didn't do anything to the total, by the way. The total was started 46 and went up to 47. So it's not really driving the uh, eagle on both sides, by the way. Uh, it's not driving the overall scoring uh, expectation down, but just something to keep an eye on. Uh, I have no problem playing Devontae Adams in every lineup this week. He, if you, for, if you look at from when he came back from injury, uh, which I think was yeah. in week 11, Michael Thomas was the only receiver in football with more targets than Devontae Adams. It was seven, Thomas had 72 over that stretch, and uh, Adams had 70. So Now, his conversion rate was much lower. He's not really been he's – been, he's had some conversion problems this year with Aaron Jones essentially forcing him the ball. Yeah, that's been – Aaron Rodgers. Uh, what I said, what I, Aaron Jones, it's still my, the Jones thing still on my mind. Aaron Rodgers uh, forcing him the ball. So I think that that's – he's not really all that efficient of a wide receiver, but just no one – he's an, at this point probably for the entire weekend is in a class by himself in terms of overall targets. So I think from that you just kind of say, I'm going to play Devontae Adams in 100% of lineups based on the volume and feel pretty good about it. Uh, guys like Jimmy Graham and Alan Lazard are sort of interesting at their price points. Lazard did see more targets over the second half of the season. He kind of has emerged as something like the wide receiver too in that offense. Uh, which doesn't say a ton because they do run the ball a lot, and then Devontae Adams gets so many of the targets. Final thoughts here on Seattle. Um, DK Metcalf has sort of emerged here as the number one wide receiver for Seattle. Um, he had a huge week, obviously, last week against uh, against Philly. They still do have Tyler Lockett. I think the run game is, a, is a, almost a non-starter uh, between Homer and Lynch. They both looked really, really bad. Any thoughts here on Seattle? And then can you run Russell Wilson as just a standalone quarterback even in cash? Well, you tried to talk me out of playing DK Metcalf last week, Doug. And, uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's, the that's, an, that's another joke about those people that colluded to, or potentially, allegedly, yeah, allegedly colluded, colluded. To, yeah. to win the million. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Metcalf, he obviously brings as much upside as anyone. And one thing we I can say about rookie wide receivers, I think that you trust the most recent sample size more than you trust the season-long numbers because – Oftentimes, it just takes that long for a guy to really learn the offense at NFL speed, right? So I think actually Metcalf is a very solid play uh, going in here today. You know, on a weekend again where all the defenses are at least competent, I think Green Bay is a potential matchup that you can exploit. Um, you know, they were bottom six in the league in non-adjusted. Oh, I'm sorry. They were top six. <laughs> Oops, I have my, my, list, uh, my list backwards here. Um, but again, you know, with all the teams going, Ahead of them this week are San Francisco, Baltimore, Minnesota, and Kansas City. So they're still, while they're still a solid uh, passing DVOA, they're not one of the best ones going on this slate. So I think you can still at least consider guys in the Seattle passing game, uh, given how tight everything is here. And I think Metcalf, Metcalf inexpensive enough that you can kind of play him alongside other real plays, which is pretty attractive to me as well. Um, I'd rather not do Tyler Lockett. I know that he was kind of the main guy throughout the season. But I think the emergence of Metcalf really hurt him. And I think his quality or his targets are rather low quality in terms of producing big plays and touchdowns. And I think for that reason, uh, if I had to pick between the two, I'd just take Metcalf. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think if you had to pick one of the two running backs for Seattle, I think I would take Travis Homer. He's at least he's uh, the option in the passing game, if nothing else. And if you think they're going to fall from behind or play from behind here, uh, I think you do see more snaps of Travis Homer. I just did Marshawn Lynch, Lynch couldn't get anything going last week. Um, so if I just had a pick between the two guys, I would just take the guy who stands to get the receptions over the guy who's only going to run. All right, we're going to get out of here. DailyFantasySportsRankings.com is the site. DFSR.com for short. Head on over, grab a free trial of our projection system over at DFSR.com deals. That is going to cover you for uh, NFL through the rest of the playoffs. 
but it'll also get you in there for NBA and NHL. It's all covered under one subscription package, and that's the optimal lineups for FanDuel and DraftKings, plus members-only chat where users are in there every night with us talking about what's coming up on every slate. Uh, between every sport, so you go check that out as well. All covered under one subscription package, and you can take a free trial for seven days, uh, and then just twenty nine ninety five a month. After that, we think you'll stick around, buddy. Enjoy your weekend of football. We'll do.